study of Daniel as we look at Daniel's visions and prophecies and then go back into the book of Revelation. So I've had a bit of a break and I'm recording this on the 7th of June 2017. So I've had a bit of a break and not uploaded any end time teaching with regards to Daniel and then going into Revelation. Once I've finished Daniel, I'll need to have another break before I go back into studying Revelation. And uh, that's for a number of reasons. Firstly, with regards to our church, we, we, we're doing a lot of um, overseas outreach with regards to our discipleship training program and hopefully launching our discipleship training school. Um, and that's involves a lot of um, volume work with regards to teachings that I've been having to gather and then we've also been changing our structure as a as a church which is which is new for us and so having to walk the church through that and lead and guide that has been pretty time consuming as well uh, and then also another reason that I'm going to have this bit of a break is I've been doing a lot of research in the interim with regards to this event, this middle of the seven year period, which we're going to be talking about here in Daniel chapter nine onwards. It is a significant event. It's the beginning of the time of Jacob's troubles. It's the beginning of the great tribulation. And so I want to really emphasize it a lot it, it, and give it as much attention as I have the uh, beginning of the seven-year period. And there's a lot of interesting studies that I've been doing, and so we'll be looking at that. But let's get back to Daniel chapter 9. Um, I've, I've, I've been using the teachings of Jacob Prash, Maya Perlman, and a couple of others that I've got in my shelf here then everywhere and so if you hear me re re reference anyone that I've not specifically named I've been studying this for many many years and so much of what I've learned comes from these mentors and teachers that I've had over the years just a very very quick summary of the visions of Daniel so Daniel up until chapter 9 he's had three visions in chapter 2 chapter 7 and chapter 8 now these three visions, chapter 2, we have the the statue. So we've got the various metals, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then iron and clay. In chapter 7, we have the animals. Chapter 8, we've got the two animals, and, chapter, and, and, and then also we have various nations represented. So in chapter 2, the gold will line up with the winged lion in chapter 7, which is Neo-Babylonia. Chapter 2, the silver would line up with um, the lopsided bear in chapter 7 and the ram in chapter 8, which is Medo-Persia. Uh, in chapter 2, we have the bronze, which is lined up with chapter 7, the winged leopard, and chapter 8, the goat, which is Greece. And then we have iron, and then we also have iron and clay in chapter 2, and that is the unique beast in chapter 7, which is Rome. What I'd suggest you do is go and read Daniel chapter 9 because as I'm going through the, the various chapter sections, I'll be just reading sections out of Daniel as we go into it. Now this chapter begins to record the next vision that Daniel receives. Now it's interesting, the vision that he receives is only between verse, verses 24 to 27. Uh, the preceding verses all prepare you for this vision to come. So as we go into studying the various sections building up to verse 24, those verses actually prepare you to receive this powerful vision in verse 24 to 27. Now, this vision for me, my personal opinion, is it is probably one of the most significant eschatological visions that you will have and you will receive in the Bible. I feel that you can basically hang 
everything from the receiving of this vision right the way through to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it gives you a framework of events that you can basically lock into and work around and build up a picture around us. And this is what I've been trying to share with you of what I do and how I study it. So it's very, very important. This vision is important. These few verses are very important. If you don't understand verses 24 to 27 of Daniel chapter 9, you're going to find it very difficult to understand any other prophecy, uh, the, the prophetic words of Jesus that he spoke in Matthew 24 to 25, Mark 13 and Luke 21. You're going to find it difficult to understand large sections of the book of Revelation. So let's look at verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Arceus of Median descent, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 3 uh, here of Daniel. Now, when Dan, what Daniel did and what he saw in this chapter probably comes from around the, the year 538 BC. And the, this was the first year of Darius the Medes' rule as king of, over the former Neo-Babylonian Empire. In Ezra, <coughs> excuse me, in Ezra, one verse one amplified version we see this now in the first year cyrus king of persia that is the first year he ruled babylon in order to fulfill the word of the lord by the mouth of jeremiah the prophet the lord stirred up put in motion the spirit of cyrus king of persia so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying that is that is powerful when you link it to what Daniel was now seen with regards to the prophecies of Jeremiah. Balthazar's feast was probably around chapter, uh, in chapter 5, probably occurred between chapter 8 and chapter 9. So we see a very, very quick transition of power between the Babylonians to the Medo-Persians, between the gold to the silver in chapter 2, the vision there, and between the, the, the winged lion and the lopsided bear in chapter 7, and we see the ram starting to um, take its place. The lion's den experience probably maybe around chapter 6. Verse 2, Amplified. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books the number of years which, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the desolations which have been pronounced on Jerusalem would end, and it was 70 years. So he somehow must have had a copy of Jeremiah's prophecy within which the length of Jerusalem's desolation was recorded. So in Jeremiah 36, 23, we said, And after Jehuda had read three or four columns of the scroll, King Jehudakim would cut off that portion with the scribe's knife and throw it into the fire that was in the brazier until the entire scroll was consumed by fire. In 36, 28, take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were on the first scroll which Jehudakim, the king of Judah, burned. So these scrolls were destroyed, but somehow... Daniel must have had a copy which he would have been studying and reading and suddenly from which he received a powerful revelation. So he must have had this scroll. So Jeremiah prophesied that the city of Jerusalem would lie in ruins for 70 years and then God was going to come along and destroy Babylonia. Let's read that. Jeremiah 25, 11 to 12. This whole land will be a waste and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then when 70 years are complete, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans, the Babylonia, says the Lord, for their wickedness and will make the land of the Chaldeans a perpetual waste. Chapter 29, 10 to 14. 
For thus says the Lord, when 70 years of exile have been completed for Babylon, I will visit, inspect you and keep my good promise to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and you will, and, and, and you will come and pray to me and I will hear your voice and I will listen to you. Then with a deep longing you will seek me and require me as a vital necessity and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, and I will free for, and I will free you and gather you from all the nations, from all the places that I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. 2 Chronicles chapter 36 verse 21 To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land has restored its Sabbaths. For as long as the land lay desolate, it kept Sabbath until 70 years was complete. Now, can you imagine reading scriptures and suddenly you, 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 you begin to get an, an understanding, a wisdom with regards to what God is saying within that scriptures? Can you imagine what Daniel must have thought when his eyes were opened, when he was given revelation of the earth-moving events that were about to begin to take place within his life and within the life of the Jewish people. Verse 2 of Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of this, I, Daniel, understood from the books the number of years according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the desolations which had been pronounced on Jerusalem would end, and it was 70 years. When I look at our studies, and I, I, and I look at what we are doing, and how we are studying, and how we are looking to see, to try and recognize when the Lord will return, what will be the signs of the times, and to, to, to study scriptures and pour over scriptures, I wonder what's going to happen to us when these things, these veils, as we come closer and closer to major events, major shifts geopolitically, politically, geographically, in the heavens, economically, when these things start to shift, when we actually begin to have the veil lifted down and our understanding illuminated by the Holy Spirit, I wonder, I can just... Just imagine, I can just try and imagine what, what's going to happen to us. So, keep pushing in as we read end time prophetic scriptures. These revelations will, I believe, be given to us. The apocalypse, the unveiling of that which has been kept secret by God concerning the coming of his son. Daniel must have received this vision when he was around... 67 years after being deported by Nebuchadnezzar in the first group of, of, of exiles, around 605 BC. So Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple in Jerusalem in 586 BC. So Daniel interprets literally the 70 years that Jeremiah predicts as a literal 70 years. As he saw this end of this period of time approaching, what he does is he then goes before the Lord. He goes into the Lord and he begins to pray for restoration. The restoration of his people and the restoration of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Now this is an interesting point to pay attention to. If Daniel's understanding of a literal fulfillment of numbers in prophecy could help us now, how, how should we then, when we go in and begin to read num the, uh, about numbers, what we should be doing with regards to that? How should we understand that? Daniel was probably also aware of Isaiah's prophecy. 
that God would also raise up a king named Cyrus who would order the rebuilding of, the, of, of Jerusalem and the temple. Just, let's read a couple of those verses. Isaiah 44 verse 28. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he will carry out all that I desire. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall again be built and again of the temple, your foundation shall again be laid. And I'll be talking a couple of interesting things with regards to the king of Persia and the spirit of Persia uh, later on in this podcast with regards to Daniel. Not this particular one, but in another podcast. Isaiah 45, 1 to 2. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, king of Persia, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, and I will ungird the loins of kings, disarming them, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and level the mountains. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. Verse 4. For the sake of Jacob my servant and of Israel my chosen, I have also called you by name. I have given you an honorable name, though you have not known me. Very interesting. Verse 3, let's move on. So I directed my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplication of fasting, sackcloth and ashes. I really want you to pay attention to how Daniel handles revelation or the unveiling of revelation, the receiving of revelation, to sometimes how people today in the church receive it. So, what does he do with this knowledge? Reading the scriptures and suddenly it's illuminated to him, this is going to start to happen now. What does he do with this knowledge? What does he do with this understanding? He goes into the Lord by prayer, by supplication. He fasts. He repents. And this is exactly what the Lord said would happen in Ezra and in Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Look at the word through Jeremiah 12 to 14. Then you will call on me and you will come and pray to me. And I will hear your voice and I will listen to you. Then with a deep longing you will seek me and require me as a vital necessity. And you will find me when you have searched for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and I will free you and gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Another aspect of this that I want you to just put into your mind to remember later on when we when we start talking about the conflict between Gabriel, Mike, and Michael against the, 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 the prince of Persia, that obviously the enemy and his army of fallen angels, the demonic, and his legions of human beings who are affiliated with him, but specifically the angelic army know full well eschatology. They know what is going to happen. They also know scripture. And so they would probably have been waiting for the answer to come through and try and prevent that event from taking place, to try and stop what God is going to do. And that's why you hear, you, you see in there, when the Antichrist comes, he's going to try to stop the times and the seasons. He's going to try and prevent Jesus from returning to planet Earth. Revelation 19, 19. They know the scriptures, probably more so than the majority of the church. So this revelation had Daniel praying and going into a, a, a mourning process, a repentance process that you can read from verses 3 to 19. Daniel regarded prayer as an integral and, cru- and, and a crucial part of his life. He also viewed prayer as a means that God would use him to accomplish his purpose in human history. 
just let's go back to Daniel chapter 6 verse 10. Listen to this. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he went into his house, now in the roof, his chamber, his windows were open toward Jerusalem. He continued to get down on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he was doing previously. So through prayer, through getting into God and taking to God, his word in petition, in supplication, in fasting, in prayer, in repentance. We become partners with God in terms of bringing God's will to earth. I refer you back also to the Lord's Prayer. As we study end time prophecy... One of the aspects I believe that we should be as disciples, as, as, as um, disciples that have a global vision, that have a Matthew 28 vision, that we really begin to add this to our weaponry, this, this type of prayer, this level of prayer, this type of meditation on the Word of God, the soaking into the Word of God, and then basically coming forward and, and, and presenting it to God and being used of God to activate the purposes of God in this planet. So we, you can go and read Daniel's prayer and confession. I'm not going to read it and discuss it, but you go and read it, think about it, and just look at what he does, look at how he does it. And what you can also do is, as you begin to start to develop writing prayers, writing petitions before the Lord, you can use this as a kind of a template as well. Very, very powerful prayer this. So go and read Daniel chapter 3 to 19. Now, let's look at God's response to this prayer. I love the words of Jesus in Luke 11, 10 to 13. For every, everyone who keeps on asking persistently receives. He who keeps on seeking persistently finds. And to him who keeps on knocking persistently, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, that is sinful by nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to, to those who ask and continue to ask? So if you are struggling trying to understand the subject within the, within the Word of God. You don't understand something. Persistently ask. Persistently seek. Persistently knock. You are going to get an answer. So in verse 20 to 23, now God answers. Now you've got to remember, we've read in Jeremiah, uh, Jer yes, Jeremiah, we've read in Isaiah, God's intention. Of what will happen. Now. We now see Daniel's response. To God's intention. God says this is what I'm going to do. And God and Daniel comes along and says. Okay Lord this is what you said you were going to do. I'm asking you to do it now. So I repent on behalf of what my people did. The sins we've committed against you. And I ask you now to begin to restore us. According to. To your word. Verse 20. While I was still speaking. And praying. And confessing my sin. And the sin of my people Israel. And presenting my supplication. Before the Lord my God. In behalf of the holy mountain of my God. While I was still speaking in prayer. And extremely exhausted. The man Gabriel whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me, and he talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and wisdom and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command to give you an answer was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly regarded and greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the message and begin to understand the meaning of the vision. That's incredible. That Not that God has to use us in any way, shape or form, but that God actually 
uses us. And so I can just imagine, and I know time is not used in heaven. I know that. But I can just imagine God says, this is what I'm going to do in 70 years time. This is what I'm going to do. And I can just imagine God waiting for 70 years. And then as Daniel begins to pray, God says, right, Gabriel, take the answer. Begin the restoration. (laughs) That's just my imagination. But yeah, I can just imagine that. Now, this revelation from verse 24 to verse 27, as I've mentioned earlier, from my perspective, gives me the framework of what will take place between the issuing of that prophecy, and I'll give you the time frame that I think it took place, to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to discuss verse 24 to 27. This is probably, for me, the most important prophecy in the Bible, in the Old Testament definitely, but in actual fact within the Bible. Because for me, it it, it gives me this structure within which I can place all the other prophecies that are going to take place leading up to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the whole prophecy is presented in verse 24. That's it, the whole prophecy. Okay? The first 69 sevens of the prophecy are described in verse 25. The final seven or the 70th week of the prophecy is in verse 27. And then the events between the 69th and the 70th week you find in verse 26. Let me repeat that again. Verse 24, we are presented with the full prophecy. Verse 25, the first 69 sevens. Verse 26, the events between 69 and 70th week. And verse 27, the final period, the 70th week. So let's just read this prophecy. I'm reading out of the Amplified Version. 70 weeks of years or 490 years have been decreed for your people and for your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement reconciliation for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, right standing with God, to seal up vision and prophecy and prophet and to anoint the most holy place. Remember, that is the whole prophecy. Now, Verse 25, we hear what takes place in the first 69 weeks, or first 69 sevens. Verse 25, so you are to know and understand from the issuing of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Prince, there will be seven weeks of years and 62 weeks of years. It will be built again with a city plaza moat, even in times of trouble. So now we move on to verse 26. So 26 describes what takes place between the 69th and the 70th week. Then after 62 weeks of years, the anointed one will be cut off and denied his messianic kingdom and have nothing and no one to defend him. And the people of the other prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. Now verse 27, the 70th week. Now remember, we are somewhere in verse 26. The big question is how close are we to verse 27? And he will enter into a binding and irrevocable covenant 
with many for one week, seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will stop the sacrifice and grain offering for the remaining three and one half years. And on the wing of the abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until the complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who causes the horror. Powerful. That is powerful. So we've got to determine how close we are to the start of the seventh, the, the 70th week, the last seven years. I believe we're in the last days. So anywhere in verse 26, literally, we are in the last days. But I personally believe that there are prophetic events that are starting to take place and quicken, as I've spoken to you before, where I shared with you Jacob Prash's ministry on how things quicken in time as we get closer to the events in the introduction of the series. I mean, you just have to switch on the news channel and see what is taking place or what is not taking place or what they're telling you or what they're not telling you. And confusion just rises up and there's so much confusion amongst the people. It's incredible. I mean, you've got the people of the religion of peace running around, blowing things up, driving cars and trucks into crowds, running around uh, where people are just having a good time and stabbing everybody, holding people hostage and killing and death, murder, mayhem. And then you've got the people on the left acting as if they're not to blame for what they're doing. They're not responsible for their actions. And And there's just general confusion and normalcy bias and cognitive discognitive dissidence at the highest levels. But when you take all of this and begin to look at it in the light of prophecy, it then starts to become very, very clear. And so if you look at it in the light of these couple of verses of Scripture and you begin to understand Verse 24, basically, is the whole period of time. Verse 25, 69 weeks have taken place. Verse 26, what takes place between the 69th week and the 70th week? And we've spoken about the time of the Gentiles, the time of the church. That's what we're in right now. And now we've got to determine through the words of Jesus, through the words of the apostles, through the words of the New Testament writers, the Old Testament prophets and writers, what events are we coming into with regards to the transition between week 69 and week 70? And so it becomes a lot more clearer. And as the prophetic events unfold, or as we get closer to the prophetic events as they unfold, we will start to get revelation given to us by the Lord through the Holy Spirit or through angels or through an understanding and revelation of the Word of God of what is going to transpire. So you're able to place yourself just by looking at these few verses of Scripture. Really powerful. We are in the last days. God did put these things in His Word for a reason and the reason is he wants us to understand this. So just imagine 70 years before the events take place that Daniel recognized, God had already spoken to his prophets with regards to what was going to happen. And if we look at these passages, these verses of scripture here, we can see that God speaks to us with regards to what is going to happen. And so all the visions that we receive of Daniel, you can now begin to place them within this framework of what has happened, what is happening, what is going to happen. Let's look at verse 24 again. Go into it a bit more. In detail. Amplified version. 70 weeks of years, or 490 years, have been decreed for your people and for your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, 
to make atonement, reconciliation for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, right standing with God, to seal up vision and prophecy and prophet, and to anoint the most holy place. Right. Within this verse, there are six things that Jesus Christ has to fulfill. Six things that the Messiah has to fulfill. The first three of these goals, these objectives in this passage of Scripture, have already been fulfilled when Jesus came the first time through his, and, and through his death and resurrection. And they are these. To finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make atonement, reconciliation, for wickedness. The second three goals will be completed when Jesus returns at the end of the 70th week. To bring in everlasting righteousness, that's right, right standing with God, to seal up vision and prophecy and prophet, and to anoint the most holy place. So you can imagine why the devil, Satan, hates prophecy so much. And why there is so much confusion around understanding the subject of Jesus' return. Because he just has to read this one verse of scripture and three of the six events which will come culminate in him being bound for a thousand years and his antichrist where he will inhabit this person for three and a half years will be cast into the lake of fire. Three of the, the six things that will lead to this accomplishment have already been fulfilled. Now, my personal opinion on this, the meaning of the sevens is that in this context, they refer to years. Alright, so weeks literally means in the Hebrew sevens. It can refer to seven days and you can see that in Genesis chapter 29 verses 27 to 28. I'm not going to read those passages. Or it can refer to seven years and you can read the same word used in the Hebrew in Leviticus 25 verses 3 to 5. Most scholars, and I don't include myself in the, in the realm of scholarship or of being a scholar, I'm just, I just study the Word of God. Most scholars believe here in Daniel that this represents years. So the sevens mean years. I feel also that Daniel is thinking in terms of seven. Because he's interpreting Jeremiah's prophecy literally as 70 years. And we've already read that in verses 1 to 2 of Daniel chapter 9. So I think that he would have interpreted these sevens as years. So 77 year periods will equal 490 years. Jerusalem would suffer under the Gentiles for 70 years. We see that in verse 2 and we see that as prophesied by Jeremiah. So the Jews and Jerusalem are going to suffer under the hands of the Gentiles for 490 years. Your people, your holy city, to me, speaks about the Jews and Jerusalem. I don't personally think this is about the church which is distinct from the nation of Israel. God has decreed these 490 years for them. He has ordained this to take place for them. So the period of time between number 69, week number 69, week number 70, we have that period of time that is the time of the Gentiles coming in. Now, let's go back to the purpose of God in this verse of Scripture. Six things will unfold in a 490-year 
period for the nation of Israel. The first three have taken place and have been resolved and sorted out by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The final three are going to get sorted out when he returns to planet Earth at the second coming. Let's read, let's read it again and just break up the six points within this passage of Scripture. This is crucial. If you can understand this verse, this one verse of Scripture, you can basically put a framework around your study of end times within which you can now begin to read uh, what people mean or what, what the Spirit of God is meaning at a specific time. So, for example, if you go back to the study of the book of Revelations and laugh under the four horsemen, basically laugh under the four horsemen will be week 70 has begun and week 70 is now moving through into the middle of week 70, the four horsemen, and then the fifth seal and the breaking and, and the sixth seal. And that will, that will get you to the time frame of the middle of the three and a half years where the covenant is broken. So you see how you can do that? So it's important for you to understand this one verse of scripture and this passage of scriptures. Verse 24 presents the whole prophecy. Verse 25, 69 sevens, the first 69 sevens. Verse 26, the period between 69 and 70. And verse 27, the 70th week. Okay, verse 24, 70 weeks of years or 490 years have been decreed for your people and for your holy city, Jerusalem. One, to finish transgression. Two, to make an end of sins. Three, to make atonement, reconciliation for wickedness. Four, to bring in everlasting righteousness, right standing with God. Five, to seal up vision and prophecy and prophet. And six, to anoint the most holy place. So by the time the 490 years have run their course, God will have completed these six things for Israel. Finish transgression, make an end to sin, make atonement for wickedness, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision and prophecy and prophet, and anoint the most holy place. Now you've always heard, you, 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 you should have heard if you've been studying end times about God's timepiece. Well, this is God's timepiece. So imagine a, a, a wall clock. I've got this beautiful wall clock that was presented to me uh, when, I was, when I came out of Bible college and went back to my own home church and was an assistant pastor and youth pastor there way back in the 80s. So it was presented to be in 1988. So it's on my wall. Now, it's, it's, it's a, one of these sort of like clocks that's got this hanging down pendulum that ticks and it ticks loudly. And I don't like the tick. It irritates me. So I don't let, I don't let it work. It's stopped. But what I've done is I've stopped it one minute to 12 as a reminder to me that I'm living in the end times. So now just imagine looking at a timepiece, a clock. But instead of 60 minutes depicted around the timepiece, imagine that the timepiece is laid out in years. And there are 490 years marked on this clock. The interesting thing about this clock is 483 of those years have transpired and so the clock has stopped there's only seven years left for this clock to run for Jesus to return and God has stopped the clock at 400 year 483 there's only seven years left on this timepiece to run Satan knows it think about this Satan knows that when that clock activates he has seven years. That's it. And then he is bound for in the bottomless pit. 
and his antichrist is in the lake of fire. He just has seven years on the clock. Just think, it, that for me, that is mind-blowing. There are only seven years on the timepiece to go, and God, Almighty, the Father, He is the one that will activate it. And that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the events where God is going to activate that timepiece. And as we get closer to those events, and as we recognize those events, what we need to do is we need to do what Daniel did and seek the Lord more. Get closer to the Lord. Now, most of the book of Revelation deals with the last seven years. So most of the book of Revelation, if you read in the book of Revelation, you read in verse 27. Let me read verse 27 for you. And he will enter into a binding and irrevocable covenant with many for one week, seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will stop and the sacrifice and grain offering for the remaining three and one half years. And on the wing of the abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until the complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who causes the horror. That, in effect, is what most of the book of Revelation describes. That one verse of scripture. So hence, when we speak about the seven years, this is what we're talking about. It's this period of time. It's verse 27 of Daniel chapter 9 that we're talking about. It's, it's a, and, and, and it's about when will this begin? What is the sign of your return? And so the starting of the seven years is the build-up to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 69 sevens. 483 years are done with, are past. We are in that break that I've spoken to you about in this pod, in this podcast series. That break, that, uh, that that injury time period, the time of the Gentiles, the age of the church. Okay. Verse 25. So now let's look at the 69 sevens. So you are to know and understand that from the issuance of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Prince, there will be seven weeks of years and 62 weeks of years it will be built again with a city, plaza and moat even in times of trouble. So there are four decrees that we read about in Scripture in the Old Testament concerning the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. So the first decree is by Cyrus to rebuild the temple. He gives it in the year around 538 BC. You can read that decree in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 22 to 23. In Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, and we've already read that earlier in the podcast, and chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. The second decree is given by Darius the first. It's his first decree. So Darius gives this decree in 512, and this decree confirms Cyrus's earlier one that we find in Ezra 6, 1, and uh, 6 to 12. The third decree is Artaxerxes in 457, and we read about that in Ezra chapter 7, verse 11 to 26. And the fourth, Artaxerxes decrees and authorizes Nehemiah to then rebuild Jerusalem in 444 BC. And basically we, we read the result of that decree in the book of Nehemiah, but you can read about the decree in chapter 2, 1 to 8 in Nehemiah. So the first two authorize the rebuilding of the temple. The third authorizes animal sacrifice and sacrifices in the temple. And the fourth gives the Jews to rebuild Jerusalem and the walls. And we know that they encountered opposition as they begin to rebuild and refortify their ancient city. And you can see that in the book of Nehemiah. There's some phenomenal teachings that I've given regarding Nehemiah and warfare that takes place. Now, this is what I think. 444 BC then could possibly be the mark that begins the 490-year period, the clock. Seven sevens 
plus 62 sevens, 483 years. So Gabriel indicates that after 483 years, the Messiah will be cut off. When you study events and, 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 and you look at the chronological studies with regards to this, it shows that Jesus' death occurred around that time. Now, whether or not chronology is correct, most scholars and expositors excuse me, agree that the death of Christ in, in view here occurs around the end of the 69th week. Okay, so verse 24, the whole prophecy. Verse 25, the countdown stops at week 69, and it stops at the death of Jesus. Verse 26 now is the time between what happens in the 69th and 70th week. Let's read it. Then after the 62 weeks of years, the anointed one will be cut off and denied his messianic kingdom and have nothing and no one to defend him. And the people of the other prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. I believe we have two princes in this one passage of scripture. In verse 26, we have the Messiah, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, my Lord and Savior. There are people, usually extreme Calvinists, that also teach that Jesus is the second prince. I don't accept that. I believe that the second prince mentioned is the Antichrist. So just as God, through Jesus, had three and a half years. God is going to allow Satan, through the Antichrist, to have three and a half years. The extreme Calvinists confuse Christ with the Antichrist. But I believe that there are two princes here mentioned. One is Jesus and one is the Antichrist. Most interpreters take the cutting off of the Messiah as a reference for the death of Jesus Christ. The prince who will come to me is different from the Messiah. And I personally, as I've mentioned and already expressed, refer him or believe him to be the Antichrist. The prince who will come will be the ultimate manifestation of Satan on earth. He is the future ruler of earth. The second human being that Satan will possess. The first one being Judas Iscariot. And he will be the Antichrist. And you can read about him in chapter 7 verse 8. I think Russ Dizdar calls him Homo Satanus. I really like that. Right, let's look at verse 27. And let me again go over the breakdown of verse 24. So, whole prophecy, verse 24. First 69 weeks, verse 25. The events between the 69th and 70th of the week, verse 26. And here in verse 27, we now read about the 70th week, which is the focus of our study. The, what, what's, what, what activates, begins, starts, launches the 70th week and what will take place in the 70th week and what should we be doing to prepare for life in the 70th week and that is the focus of our study. So the final period, verse 27. And he will enter into a binding and irrevocable covenant with many for one week, seven years. But in the middle of the week he will stop the sacrifice and grain offerings for the remaining three and one half years. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until the complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who causes the horror. 
This is the verse that describes, basically, as I've said, the contents of this whole study. Seven years prior to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the middle of these seven years, which we are going to be going into once I've finished Daniel chapters 10 to 12 in a further couple of podcasts, we are going to look, we're going to go back in and start our study in the middle of the seven year period, this middle three and a half year period where he uh, stops the sacrifice, grain offerings, etc., for the remaining three and a half years. What happens there? This event is going to be so significant. And there is so much build-up to this event that it's going to be a real interesting study as we go in and explore this. Now, as I've said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm going to take a break after Daniel and probably only pick up the broadcasting of this podcast at the end of 2017, just to give you a time frame if you're listening to it um, right now. In, uh, in the middle of 2017, June, as I've got some incredible work to do with regards to our discipleship training school and our missions out to various um, nations trying to launch these discipleship training schools as well as changing and, uh, and applying it within our own local church and helping one or two local churches in Australia apply it as well. So, very busy times. But anyway, Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. The future Antichrist is going to make a covenant with many for one week, seven years. The many, the, 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 the term the many refers to Daniel's people. You see that in verse 24. Uh you can see it in chapter 11, 39 and 12, 2, which we'll be discussing as well. I think, I think this refers to the Jews. He's going to make a, a covenant with the many, with the Jews for seven years. Seventy years of sevens, 490 years, have been decreed for your people and for your holy city, Jerusalem. Verse 24. So after three and a half years... This Antichrist will terminate the sacrifices and offering that he permits these Jews to offer in the first three and a half years, if so it would seem. And their ability to offer, offer these sacrifices indicates that they will be back in the land worshipping at a rebuilt temple. So start to pay attention to what's taking place geopolitically and geo-religiously. Let me throw that phrase out. In the news lately. For example, geopolitically, you've got the island nation of. Oh, I don't know what. The, the thing has just gone out. It's either Fiji or one of the island nations, Vanuatu, but they, they've now recognized Jerusalem, only, only nation that has recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And you've got the Americans toying with the idea and Currently, as of to date, in June 2017, the American president, President Donald Trump, has put on hold any decision to move the American embassy to Jerusalem, and it's, it gets reviewed every six months. So, if you go and study the, or go re-listen to the Life Under the Four Horsemen, you'll see my hypothesis in terms of what I feel it will look like on the ground and what takes place and how Jerusalem gets given back to the Jews after an Ezekiel 38-39 war and a Psalm 83 war that takes place that could take place imminently and you can see all the signs and look behind the, the headlines or the non-headlines of what is taking place in the Middle East, the development of, of the Shia Crescent and the Sunni Crescent and Israel squeezed in between what's taking place, what's happening in Qatar at the moment. Very interesting what's going on, what's happening in Syria at the moment uh, and all the maneuverings taking place. So, after three and a half years, he's going to terminate 
and break the covenant. And their ability to sacrifice shows me that they are back in Jerusalem and that there is a temple, from my perspective, on the Temple Mount. So what happens to the Dome of the Rock, the mosque, the Al-Aqsa Mosque? Well, I've, I've, I've given you my impressions in that previous podcast. The wing of abominations may refer to a wing of the temple, and this is particularly abominable because of the idolatry that gets performed within this temple. So historically, we've seen destruction take place before, and I've spoken to you about that with regard to the Maccabees and Antiochus Epiphanes and with the Romans. Now, the prince is going to appear in the Jerusalem temple, this is my reading, my understanding, and he's going to end their sacrifice and institute another sacrifice. And that's where you get the introduction of the mark of the beast. Daniel chapter 12 verse 11 refers to the future stopping of the Jewish sacrifices for 42 months before the Messiah returns. I'm now going to end off this podcast by reading a few passages of scripture from various people in the Bible. So Daniel chapter 12 verse 11. And this regards this period of time. From the time that the regular sacrifice, that is the daily burnt offering, is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, ruining the temple for the worship of the true God, there will be 1,290 days. John on the Isle of Patmos, writing in Revelation chapter 13, verse 4 to 7. They fell down and worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. They also worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like as great as the beast and who is able to wage war against him? And the beast was given a mouth, the power of speech, uttering great things and arrogant and blasphemous words. And he was given freedom and authority to act and to do as he pleased for 42 months, three and a half years. And he opened his mouth to speak blasphemies, abusive speech and slander against God, to, do, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and those who live in heaven. He was also permitted to wage war against the saints, God's people, and to overcome them and authority and power over every tribe and people and language and nation. So we've got a three and a half year period where Satan rules personally the planet through the person of the Antichrist. Let's see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 verses 14 to 28. So when you see the abomination of desolation, the appalling sacrilege that astonishes and makes desolate, spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains for refuge. Whoever is on the housetop must, go, must not go down to get the things that are in the, his house, because there will not be enough time. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. And woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight from persecution and suffering will not be in winter or on a Sabbath when Jews, Jewish laws prohibit travel. For at that time, there will be a great tribulation, pressure, distress, opposition, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will again. And if those days of tribulation had not been cut short, no human life would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, God's chosen ones, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you during the great tribulation, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will appear, and they will provide great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect, God's chosen ones. Listen carefully. I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out there. Or look, he is in the inner rooms of the house, do not believe it. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes in as far as the west, so will the coming in glory of the Son of Man. Everyone will see him clearly. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will flock. Let's see what Paul says. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself so proudly and so insolently above every so-called God or object of worship so that he actually enters and takes his seat in the temple of God, publicly proclaiming that he himself is God. And then the Apostle John in 1 John 2, 18. Children, it is the last hour, the end of this age. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, the one who will oppose Christ and attempt to replace him, even now many Antichrists, false teachers have appeared, which confirms our belief that it is the last hour. A complete destruction decreed by God will be poured out on this prince that is going to come according to these passages when the Messiah returns. And that is why you can understand with every fiber of their being, they are going to try and change the times and the seasons and prevent Jesus Christ from returning. So let me end off with a brief summary again of verse 24 of these, of these passages of scripture. Verse 24 gives us the whole prophecy. Verse 25 talks about the first 69 weeks. Verse 26 describes events between the 69th week and the 70th week. And verse 27 describes the final seven years, which is the object of our discussion. That's it. Have a wonderful day. And I will catch you up later with our next podcast, which will be Daniel chapter 10. God bless.